Nancy Richards. Thank you very much, Todd. Well, indeed, it is SFM Literature with me, Nancy Richards. And if it's not too late to be saying such, happy, happy new year. Hope you had a wonderful, wonderful season. And uh, as you know, this is a show about books and reading and words and writing and all that goes with them. And we are going to be continuing right through the year 2015. But what we're going to go today, we're going to bring you a package of some of the best ofs or perhaps highlights from the year just passed. So I hope you're going to enjoy them. And if you've heard them again, uh, or if you're hearing from the second time, I hope you will enjoy them even more. So what we're going to do is bring you some of the best um, and the newest material in the weeks ahead. But what we're going to do today is uh, some of the highlights that we have from last year. Team, how can I possibly forget to introduce the team here in Cape Town, Derek Fordyce. In Johannesburg, we have Sulu Pelo and we have Ntokozo Kuswai. So we also have you, don't forget. And if you want to get in touch with us, don't try and phone us today because we're going to be um, playing re repeats, as it were. But if you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can pop us a mail, uh, books at safm.co.za, books at safm.co.za. Just a lovely mail from Siana Vunukwa. Thank you very much. I'll read that later on if there's time. And if you'd like to f find a, become a friend of ours on Facebook, do that as well, because we usually put up what we've got lined up, so it's always nice if you can uh, be forewarned, forearmed about what's coming up on the show. Uh, that's SAFM Literature, that's our Facebook page. So, let me tell you what we've got on the show for today. So, first up, in our hero feature, Dear Bullet. Well, Dear Bullet was the name of a book by very much first-time author, Sikolile Mbalo. She's a one, young woman who narrowly escaped death when she was brutally sexually assaulted and continues to live with a bullet still lodged inside her. Well, very moving story it is of triumph, and we'll be talking to her, hearing from her once again. After that, last year at the Friendship Book Fair, I caught up, well, I caught up with a lot of uh, writers, but I especially caught up with Dion Mayer. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you who he is. He's a crime writer of note, and he told us also about the filmmaking aspect of his writing career, so we'll be hearing that once again. Then after that, self-publishing, something a lot of writers are turning to. In fact, they always have done, but even more uh, with more greater frequency, I would say, now. And it's something that publishers Jakarna are very willing to support and help out with. And we'll be hearing once again from Lee Ann Harris, who's the custom publishing manager, talking about their division called Staging Post, which is all about self-publishing. Then, after the news at two in the second hour in book two, very well-known international bestseller, also a crime writer and forensic anthropologist, Kathy Rice was in town, Cape Town, recently, and I spoke to her about her work and her writing, so we'll hear once again from her. And our reader, another repeat, is Ayanda Kokoto. She has uh, got a book that she's found really inspirational, so we'll be hearing her tell us that story once again. And in our story documentary, we're going to be repeating a very a very excellent uh, brace of documentaries, I think we could say, two-part Wired for Sound. It's also, also about discovering music and musicians in Mozambique, so we'll be bringing that. Then after the news at three, our very own Roger Webster has a story for us. It's another repeat, and it's uh, something of a favourite. It's all about footprints in Mpumalanga. So there you go. And in back page, we're featuring a young woman. A little bit of fun, this one. But she, she's all about turning books into art. She's Kerry Muller, and uh, she has got a company called Simple Intrigue. So we'll be finding out what the intrigue is there. And to close, as always, the Sunday play. So do stay with us. It's SAFM Literature. <laughs> 
SABC Sport has done it before and we are not about to stop. Catch all the live action on your favorite radio station. Kicking off a robust year, it's Bafana Ofana in Akon 2015 from the 17th of January to the 8th of February. And then the Proteas look to shine at the 2015 Cricket World Cup from the 14th of February to the 29th of March. And the Box look to win the World Cup from the 18th of September to the 31st of October. SABC Sport, for the love of the game. SAFM Literature. So first up on the show today, um, in, our, in the first of our holiday pack of best-offs from 2014, first up a young woman who definitely qualifies for heroineship simply for her sheer determination to live. She's Godile Mbalo, and her book called Dear Bullet, A Letter to My Shooter, tells the story of how she managed it. It's following an horrendous case of sexual violence. Well, I spoke to her earlier this year after, after her book was published and asked her first to tell us a little bit about herself. I was born from Eastern Cape, Umtata, a village called Mbandela. I was born in 1986. Now I'm 27 years. And tell me about your childhood. How was it? Oh, it was rough. I grew up raised by my grandmother. I would say I never knew my mother. She would come maybe after five years just for two days and go on and come with a baby and rope it and then never knew my father. So I just had a, a rough life, you know. So my grandmother raised me up until this age, yes. And you had you had two sisters? But yes, you, and one brother. And one brother. And I think your grandmother, she really worked very hard. She did her she best, did. didn't she? She did. And did you go to school? Yes, I went to a primary day in Mpandela from standard A, B, one, two, three, four, five. Then I went to the location called Wapain, which is in town, to my grandma's sister. She was a nurse in Tata General Hospital. So I did start a sixth day, but I, went, I came back to the village to live with my grandmother again. So that's when the incident happened on that year. Before we get to the incident, it seems to me um, your English is very good. You've written a wonderful book. I know it's taken a long time, but I think that you've you've done very well. So your your education was good when you were when you were small. Do you feel that? No. <laughs> Nonetheless, you've produced a book and you're doing very well. Sikolile, tell me about the incident. How old were you? What happened? I was 14. It happened on October 30th. I was raped and gunshot on my left ear. The guy, he showed me where I was schooling, then to the toilets. So the toilets were not like those ones in, in Cape Town. Those you dig a hole and then... So he tried to put me there. Then my head Push was your head inside. Down. And then my legs were like... You know, in my... Just hanging out. My, you know, so he left me for that. He thought I was dead, but fortunately, I was not dead. Mm -hmm. So I tried to get up there, and I, I couldn't walk, I couldn't speak, and I was bleeding. I crawled about 30 kilometers to my mom's cousin. So the dogs, they bite me there, and then they hit the dogs barking. Then... They opened the door, when they switched on the lights, they saw me. 
you know, I, was, I had blood all over my face. Then they took me inside and asked me what happened, but I couldn't talk. Then I asked for a pen and a paper. Then I wrote down what happened and then who did it. Then they rushed me to hospital. So I survived. You did survive, and it's been a long journey since then. Mm-hmm. It was. It's been. No, it's been more than ten years. Mm-hmm. Who was this guy? And why Kimberly did Pendo. And why did he choose you? You know his name. You know the date. Why? That is last day. Last year on April, when I was busy with my book, I decided to go there because I had some questions to ask him, like why did he choose me, and what did I do to him? So I needed to hear from the horse's mouth, you know. Then I went there, but I couldn't get the answer that I wanted to like I did not get what I expected things didn't go that way instead I just saw the same thing that I saw that day so I was a bit disappointed I would imagine very disappointed because you'd hope perhaps that this maybe would maybe he will yeah you know he maybe you've changed maybe you'll come crawling like when he sees me but ask for forgiveness but not so I guess you'll never know and I suppose you would just the unlucky girl in the wrong place at the wrong time. If it hadn't have been you, it could have been somebody Someone, else. Somebody else, yeah. yes. One of the pastor told me that. Like I was, the time that I was in the hospital, he came to fetch me. That time I was discharged. And I was like crying, like, why me? And then he said to me, you know what? Just be glad. Not, not be glad, but yes, it did happen to you. But just tell yourself that if it didn't happen to you, maybe... There will be so many girls that could have been dead, you know? Yeah. Just be happy that he did it to you and then you survived and so that he could be caught. And put in prison. You know? Which is where you went to see him. And hopefully he'll stay there for a very long time because the incident has stayed... But there's this parole thing. Hmm. Maybe he will be out, maybe, in no time. Yeah, yeah. But the point is that you've put the story out and, and what you've done is you've protected so many other women in doing this. But it was a long time before you came to the book. It was a long time before you healed. After you left the hospital, you went back home. Mm-hmm. And the issue of not ever having seen your mother was a big one for you. Big, big one. So you decided to go and find her. How mm-hmm. old were you and what did you do? I was about 15. But things didn't go the way I expected. I thought maybe... She will fix that, you know, now that there's this incident, then I, was, I needed her the most, you know, that time I, I really, really, really needed her. But things didn't go the way that I thought they were. I guess she didn't know you, and I no. guess you didn't know her. No. It was very difficult for the two of you, although you were a little bit healed. Yes, and she never even asked me, how are you doing? Mm. What happened? Like, Tell me, how did it happen? No, she never came. And that that didn't surprise me because I knew how she is, you know. So three years after the incident, you found your mother and you stayed with her for some while. But I think that you became very depressed, not just because of your mother, but because of the incident that hadn't been dealt with. What did you do to try and help yourself? Or was it who was able to help you? I went to a college called Falls Bay, yes. You know, I'm the one who went there by myself. I remember I didn't have money, I had nothing. Then they said I must come with my birth certificate. Then I came with it. They said I must do a affidavit. 
Then I did all that, and then I told them my situation. And then they said, okay, it's fine. Then I met uh, a lady who was called Koliswa, because she could see I was not doing okay. fine. And then I used to cry every time. And she asked me, then I opened up to her and told her what was going on. And then she referred me to a rape crisis. That's when I received the counseling ever since since the incident i never received it so that's when i like started to understand the rape and it took me about maybe five years yes i think you know that's where i gained strength to talk about it and it gave me a courage to go out there and express myself and so it took five years and and still before that it was some years before you so all this time you were living with the consequences of rape and i think when you were raped you didn't really know about rape so much somebody in your community had been raped but yes, you sure. had but no idea what was really know, happening and mm. i remember we used to laugh at the girl that was raped like i thought rape maybe it's Maybe something that you allow it in. I didn't understand it. Then when it happened to me, that's when I started to. Even today, you know, it it's me like, uh, like I feel like I can go back to that girl and say, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now I understand what happened to you. You didn't ask for it, you know. I understand it now, and I understand that it's it's not your fault. You could be talking to yourself. <laughs> I understand it now. It wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Did you ever blame yourself? At first I did. I was like, oh, maybe if I didn't go and give my cousin the clothes that I was going to take taking back to them her. back, maybe if I should have stayed at home, maybe I should have eaten my meal, maybe I shouldn't have met that guy. When You know, I was mm. like, Going over it and over oh, it. You know. Yeah. Since then, since the counselling started, mm -hmm. you've had to go over it again and mm -hmm. again yeah. and again. And in writing this book, you've had to go through it a lot. Because when you went to rape crisis, I think it was there that you met Margie Orford. Yes. And, and it was she who suggested that yes. you should write it down. What happened then? You know, the time I met Margie, I already wrote down. I had a, a 72 pages. I always write. Then I told her, you know what? Okay, I was I was invited by a rape crisis. So I was doing a talk there. Then I, I also mentioned that one day I would like to write a book about me. And, and then she had that. After the function, she called me and said, I had that you want to. Then I, I told her that I already wrote in like roughly and then she said okay give me your contacts your contacts then i will connect you to someone that can help you then she referred me to Angie Kluch. that's where yeah. I am. and that's when your journey started all over again mm. i think with cindy wimagona yes. and Anki Kroch, they both sort of mothered you they've become your mothers that oh. you never had they and i think Anki has written uh, an afterword yes and she's talked about the whole process, but you had already had your 72 pages written, but she helped you go through it again mm, to find even more. She did. How did she do that? Like, okay, I came to her office, like we talked, and then she said, okay, let's do it. And then we did it, and then I was doing talks for Necro, going like to prisons, 
We are not victims. We are true survivors. We are go-getters. And did it help writing it all down? It, it did. It does. And is your grandmother proud of you? She is. <laughs> and I'm also proud of her. <laughs> you know, she used to say to me, you know what, she used to pray, in fact, God, before you take me, I want to see Sekulile somewhere where she can be able to look after herself. Then, when I released this book, I said to her, do you remember what you used to pray and what you used to say? Wait, what is it? Then I told her, she said, wow. She was surprised that I still remember that. <laughs> it's been a wonderful thing for you and, and your family and your whole community because you have, you have turned your fortune around. Dear Bullet is the name of the mm -hmm. book, and I don't think that you feel very fondly to that bullet, but mm -hmm. I think Anki said that you were, at first, maybe you were going to write the book to your mother. To mom, but, but then I, I thought, no, why would I write a book to her? Because she was not interested in the first place. Why should I not write it to the bullet that it's inside me? And your mother has passed on? Yes. But you have moved on? Yes, I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you think there might be another book from you? Yes, there will be. Hmm. Definitely. What will it be about? A life after. Okay. <laughs> Sikonile part two. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yes. Sikonile Mbalo and her book once again is called Dear Bullet, A Letter to My Shooter and it uh, tells the story of how she survived. Put together to, with Anki Kroch who helped was very instrumental as you heard there, very instrumental in helping her put it together. And if you haven't read it, do get hold of a copy. It's published incidentally by Jonathan Ball. Well, in a minute, we're going to be uh, hearing once again from Dion Mayer. We're also going to be hearing a little bit about self-publishing. But before we do anything, like, even remotely like that, what we're going to hear about is all about the cricket. We've got Natalie on the line to tell us all about it. Hi, Natalie. Thanks very much, Nancy. It's day three of the final test match between South Africa and the West Indies. South Africa now lead by 15 runs in their first innings. They're currently 344 for five. A.B. de Villiers has just gone past the century mark for the 21st time in his test career. Facing 144 balls for his century, he was there for 218 minutes and hits 11 falls. And now, as I'm talking to you, we're just seeing the dismissal of Stian van Sale. It's been given out by the umpire, but he's ordered, it's straight away gone up to the decision review system to see if this is out or not. It's off the bowling of Suleiman Ben. Suleiman Ben has had a lot of work to do. He's so far taken the wicket of Faf Duplessis for 68. But right now the South Africans are 344 on the board and they're having a look now at the review which South Africa still have to in place. But is a batting review. It's been given out and Suleiman Ben is operating over the wicket, turning the ball quite prodigiously into the stumps and it looks like this will probably stay with the out decision that the umpire has given. So South Africa at the moment 344 on the board and they lead by 15. Natalie Jumanis for SFM Sport. Natalie, just quickly, I can hear that the, the crowd's having a very lively time there. What's the weather like? I'm in a darkened room here. I know it's been coming and going, coming and going. What's it like now? It's absolutely beautiful. Oh. There's still a strong breeze that's coming across the ground, but it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, just by the way, having a look at the decision review that we were just talking about, it's going over the top. So Stian Fonsale survives. So the South Africans will be 344 for five. But Nancy, absolutely beautiful weather here in Newlands. Fabulous. It's so good to hear, and it's so good to hear people having such a wonderful time at the cricket. So if you're a cricket fan, well, I hope you're there. Actually, I hope you're listening to this program, really, but maybe there's some way of doing both multitasking. 
Well, it's SAFM Literature you're listening to, just in case you didn't know. And what we're having is a holiday pack of best ofs from 2014. And next we're going to talk to or hear once again from a man of many words, many novels, many talents, actually. Amongst them, more recently, is filmmaking. He's Dion Mayer, and earlier last year I met up with him at the Frantic Literary Festival and asked him first at what point he felt that a book needed to be made into a film. I've never had the idea that the book that I'm writing will make one hell of a movie. For me, the, the, the biggest responsibility and the most difficult task is to write a book that will hopefully be successful. And I, uh, I think authors are their own harshest critics. So it's, for me, it's a real struggle to, to finish a book uh, to such a degree of quality that I'm happy with it. I always feel looking back that I could have done so much better. So I never think in terms of movie. I also... I, I don't get involved in turning my own books into movies. Uh, from a uh, monetary perspective, it just doesn't make sense because it, it is much better to option or sell the rights uh, internationally than locally because as vibrant as this South African movie industry is at the moment, there just isn't enough money to pay an author for the movie rights, what I think uh, is a fair price. So, you know, I just focus on the book itself. The movies that we are making, um, my partner, Dione Kempen, and myself, are either original scripts or some of them, some of the scripts are based on my short stories. We also commission scripts from other writers, but it's not about my books. My, the, the movie rights of my books I, I sell internationally. Let's stay with those movies for the moment. Do, do you have any uh, say once you've handed over the rights? Do you have any sort of involvement? Do you get involved with the screenwriting? You know, it, it's possible to put something into the contract that says that I have last say, but that is not a smart thing to do. Uh, so I think about 12, 14 years ago, I was doing a, a book tour with Michael Connolly in America, and it was uh, he, he told me the story of his own experience with uh, Clint Eastwood making um, one of his movies. I think it was called Blood Work, if I remember correctly. And Connolly gave me the advice. He said take the money for the movie rights and walk away because once you get in the way once you get in the middle and you start fiddling with it uh, you make it very difficult for the people who are doing the movie um, and I think that was very good advice I think it's very unfair to expect the people who want to make the movie to, to put everything that you put into the book some characters just can't go into the movie just, you know a movie is 90 minutes and a book is four five hundred pages and uh, you have to leave it to someone who is objective enough to take the best movie out of the book whatever that may be and if that means that your favorite scenes and your favorite characters get thrown out then so be it nonetheless it's your baby which as you've just said it, you know it's taken you a long time to develop this book and you know you're a perfectionist obviously and it's going to retain your name on it it's going to be based on the novel by Dion Mayer so you know necessarily you're going to be pretty cross if they do something with it that you don't feel to be what you wanted I think one is going to feel that anyway because it was the book that you created I, I think it's a good thing that most authors don't get involved in the development of those scripts. My only wish is that they make a good movie. One must take into account the fact that many more people will see the movie than read the book. And if the movie can bring more people to the books, then that's great. And if that is the only thing that I get out of it, then I'm quite happy. But you, you're going to be upset. I've, I've read some of the scripts uh, of the um, 
books, the, the movies that are going to be made of my books. And I hated it because I, I thought that they, they were going to places where I never intended with the book. But you have to make peace with it. You have to just simply walk away and hope that the movie will be a success. And a good story is a good story. If we can just go, come back to your books for a moment about a good story being a good story. Um, you're very harsh on yourself. You've, you work again and again and again. What of your own experience? I mean, if they were books about yourself, I would imagine you'd be even more cross if they, if they changed it radically. But to what, excel, what extent are you imbued in the books? Or is it just your experience and are you not part of it? Yeah, I think for all authors, the first maybe one or two or even three books have more of yourself because that's where you, that's what you tap into when you write your first few books. But then you, you learn the tricks of the trade and you learn to extrapolate and you, you start doing much more research. So it becomes less about you. So uh, that doesn't really come into it. Eventually all comes from your own imagination. So it is... You know, very personal in that sense. And I think that's where when I read a script uh, of a movie based on one of my books and it digresses, it does not include certain things, or it changes a character. Characters become very good friends over so many years of writing about them. And when a scriptwriter uh, is not does not stay true to that character from the author's perspective, then yes, I mean, I, I get very upset, but there's nothing that I can do. Uh, once you've given someone the option or you've sold the movie rights outright, then there's very little you can do. The, all the producers have been very kind in sending me the scripts, asking for my input. I, I've read them. I've mostly disliked them. But I know that I'm not objective. I'm totally subjective, so that's why I, I don't respond. I say, this looks fine as a movie. You just carry on so you're completely benign about the whole thing yeah you have to be I don't think you have a choice um, unless you want to write the script yourself which is a process that I uh, am also not willing to get into because once you get paid to write a script then the producer has the last say and it becomes an endless series of changes and Holly, that's the way that Hollywood works you know a script uh, not only goes to a producer it goes to a director it goes to the studio bosses and they all want some changes they all want their own opinions put into so it becomes an endless rewrite process and I don't have the time and I, and I, I really don't have the inclination to do that either yeah, and at the end of the day, it's a whole lot cheaper to write a book. No, given that you spend an awful lot of time on it, nonetheless, it's still cheaper to write a book than it is to make a movie. But it hasn't put you off the concept of making movies. You've got uh, involved in making movies. Explain. Yeah, well, my my partner, Dioni Kemper, and myself started a company called Karua Films about two years ago. And uh, I've been writing some scripts. We've been commissioning some scripts. I love making movies. I love the, the media of, of movies uh, it's another form of storytelling I have story ideas that I know will be much better movies than, than books and I, I had to see them go to waste um, I've been involved with movie making ever since writing a script called Yakal's Dance five, six years ago and the whole experience is an enchanting one making movies is making magic it's really a magical experience the great thing about making movies is that it's a collaborative experience involving the creativity of a whole host of people it's 
not just the scriptwriter, it's the director, it's the director of photography, it's the set dresser, the art director. The actors bring so much talent and they make the characters come alive. Then there's the, the post-production process, the, the grader and the, the editor who plays such a major role. There's the, the sound uh, people, the people who create the, the whole sound feel for the movie, the music, the composer who, who adds his own magic. So it's eventually it becomes much more than the script that you wrote and that is a process that I'm absolutely in love with. So you it's fun in as much as you're working with lots of people making magic with a whole lot of people which is a huge contrast to the way you usually work which is really quite hermit-like is it this is your opportunity to get to work with other people yes it is because as you say writing is a very lonely business you sit in your little room and you write for most of the day for seven eight nine ten hours a day uh you only get out if you actually go do research that involves other people and it becomes a very lonely existence and i uh, that's why I love making movies because it's it's a very social enterprise. Um, you know, shooting a movie. I directed *The Last Tango* last year, and uh, then you for a month you work with a whole bunch of uh, a large team of brilliant people, um, and it's uh, everybody's making a contribution. It's a it's a very animated, very intense process that is vastly different from writing a book. Um, so it brings balance to one's life, but it's still storytelling. It's still something that I that I love very much. Uh, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. What sort of response? I, I think as a writer, you're very popular. People follow you. People are in touch with you a lot. Uh, in terms of your movies, what response have you had? The response has been great. I mean, some of the critics have been extremely harsh, but we always expect that. But the public... Have they been right? Well, in s some of them have been. I mean, s some of the criticism, I think, was was just, I don't know, there was no substance to it. It was just uh, absolute damnation, which I always find difficult to understand. You know, a positive criticism that says, well, this and that and the other thing was wrong and, and pinpointing it, one can learn from that. But, but outright damnation, I, I always find hard to understand. But the public's response has been incredible. Um, the, the feedback from, from people who've watched the movies have been extremely positive. And, uh, but we, we sort of, we don't make um, the movies that, because we want to make money. You know, in South Africa, you're fairly sure of getting good return on investment if you make a romantic comedy for the age group 18 to 24 and you, you cast some popular mu uh, singers and, 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 and musicians in it. We're trying to make the kind of movies that Dioni and I would have liked to go see at the cinema. Um, when I started writing uh, crime fiction in South Africa, there was no audience for that either. My first book uh, sold 600 copies of, of 1,200 printed. <clears throat> and if I had given up back then, you know, I would never have written another book. So you have to have a bit of faith in what you're doing, and, and we have a lot of faith in the kind of movies that we're making. We're making movies for grown-ups with much more serious, although I think they're very entertaining, we've made uh, two um, crime thrillers, um, and we've made a, 
a romantic comedy for grown-ups with, with much more grown-up issues. And we believe that we'll find an audience. We just have to keep going. We're very fortunate in South Africa that the Department of Trade and Industry uh, has a rebate for, for South African filmmakers that enables us to make movies that are, are different. We feel that we can't make a contribution to the South African movie industry and, and to the, the art of making movies in South Africa if we keep doing the same thing because it's safe and because we will get our money back. We have to take risks. We have to take creative risks. Our biggest problem in South Africa is that we have to work with extremely small budgets. We make a whole movie in South Africa for maybe one-tenth of what a Hollywood movie would cost a day. You know, I mean, it's, it's minuscule. So the challenges are huge, but uh, technology has enabled us to, to get uh, much better quality, uh, to have more production value. But we will keep on making the movies that we believe in, and we honestly think that sooner or later audiences will respond and, and box office will be much better. Well, that was Dion Mayer, and if you're a Dion Mayer fan, I'm sure you found that very interesting. And In fact, if you check his website, you'll find out a whole lot more about Dion Mayer and all the things that he does. But that was uh, Dion Mayer. And as I say, spoke to him at the, uh, at the Frantalk Book Festival, which was really interesting. Well, in a minute, we're going to be hearing... Um, and in fact, if you're a bit of a, a, a crime novel fan, do stay tuned, because after the news at two, we're going to be hearing from forensic anthropologist Dr. Cassidy Rice, who has written a number of books about crimes and how uh, forensic anthropologists help to solve them but before we do that we're going to be hearing about self-publishing so if you have an interest in that do stay tuned ah mr johnson i'm so glad you could join me this evening vlad stay back i know what you are you monster now mr johnson Monster is such a terrible word. I said stay back. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, did you really think a vegetable could hurt me? I love garlic. No, stay back. No! <laughs> this is an invitation to writers to explore the medium of sound, the theater of the mind to create a one-hour radio play in English. Visit the SAFM website on www.safm.co.za for more information or send an email to playwright at safm.co.za and stand a chance to win 50,000 rand. Well, doesn't that sound like uh, a tempting thought to win 50,000 rand? And if you do fancy yourself as a bit of a playwright, why don't you just give it a go? Even if you don't win the 50,000 rand, um, it'll be an interesting exercise. But check it all out on our website, safm.co.za, and I think that there are all sorts of bits of information about how you can actually go about writing a play. So if it's something that interests you, why don't you check it out? Just before we move on to our next piece, I did uh, mention to you that we'd had a lovely uh, email from um, Sianda Vunukwa, who lives in East London. I'm just going to read it to you because it sort of relates to all sorts of things, and I'm certainly not taking credit for this rather glowing email, but... Uh uh, Sianda says, Evening, my name is Sianda Vunukwa. I live in East London and I'm currently working as an EPWP at Sasa. You know, the place that makes the grant. I'm a fan of your show and listen to it whenever I can. My favourite parts are Bookshelf, the documentary, although I was not too fond of last week's one about death, the fireside chat and, of course, the Sunday play. Well, maybe, Sianda, you might like to write a play as well. 
Sandra says, I came across your show about four years ago while I was still studying. What struck me most was your love of reading and writing. I love books. I started reading novels at a very young age, but up until I found your show, I had no real idea about the business of publishing. I read library books. The idea of actually owning a book never crossed my mind. I did not see the book industry as being the same as the movie industry with new releases, blockbuster and cult classics. Now I see it like this because your show keeps me in touch with what's happening in the industry. You always know which books have just been published, which ones of these are critically acclaimed, and which authors to look out for. Now I go to exclusive books and CNA. I still not have bought a book, but I'm planning to have my own private library. Please keep up the good work. Your show is very inspiring. Hearing the personal stories of the authors you interview makes me believe that I can do anything. One day I would love to write a novel, but I don't have a story to tell just yet. Well, not one that could be a novel anyway. God bless your entire team and may you keep getting better in the new year. Regards, Sianda Vunukwa. Well, bless you, Sianda. That's a really, really warming email. And uh, as I say, certainly don't take credit because four years ago I wasn't presenting this program. In fact, it was Karabo Holling who did a wonderful job. So um, it was just interesting to read that, to hear the, how you've you've moved into the book world. And, and I feel sure that you do have a story, but um, it's not for me to decide. But do stay tuned. And if you'd like to get in touch, if you'd like to pop us an email with the thoughts that you have about books, what you're reading, what you're writing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling is about books and plays and documentaries, you can pop us a mail. We're at books at safm.co.za, books at safm.co.za. And like us on our Facebook page, which is SAFM Literature, and we can be in touch direct. So, next in our text feature, another item that we heard about earlier last year was self-publishing. Well, if you thought that self-publishing was a new phenomenon, do think again. Because how's this? Back in 1901, 35-year-old writer-illustrator Beatrix Potter printed 250 copies of her Tale of the Peter Rabbit, which was later picked up by no fewer than six publishers who had previously rejected it. Well, the rest is history, and she continues to be something of a classic bestseller of children's books. I don't know if you know, know the Beatrix Potter, Peter Rabbit stories, but um, they're certainly something that uh, a lot of people grew up on. So the rest is history. Well, publishers Jakarta have spotted uh, something of a rise in the self-publishing business, and to help anyone who's thinking of taking that route, what they've done is start a new division. It's called Staging Post. And last year, I spoke to custom publishing manager Lee Ann Harris of Jakarta, to find out why a book should be self-published. It's not always um, authors who find it difficult to, to, to secure a traditional publishing contract who choose to self-publish. You know, self-publishing allows authors a lot more creative independence. You don't have the, the, the publishing house telling you how your book has to be published, where it has to be sold, how it has to be sold. So for me, the first advantage of of self-publishing is that you take control of your destiny you know so whether you've been rejected by a traditional publisher or not you can still get your book published you have secondly you have creative control full control over how the book looks what the cover looks like how it competes with similar books in in the industry and it and i think essentially really reflects the author's vision and not the publisher's vision the other thing is with traditional publishing is you have to fit into a publishing list it's not necessarily going to be in three months in a three month time period that you would want it to be it could be in a year's time so that it fits into a publishing list well self-publishing again you have control over that you can do it now you know mm. there's no publishing list stopping you from doing it when when it suits you so so that's that for me is one of the 
the other things. And I think that an important part of it is the, the margins are bigger. You know, traditional publishing, the contracts are tilted towards the publisher. Yeah. Traditional publishing authors get a royalty. But also, I mean, to credit traditional publishers, they, um, they do take the risk on, on your publication, on your work. They cover the production and print costs. So naturally, the, the publisher would want to um, have a return on that um, investment, you know. So for self-publishing, you set the price, you sell your book, you make the margins. And your book will never go out of print. Yeah. I mean, as long as, as as long as you have control over your book, it will not go out of print. Yeah. We're talking to Leanne Harris from Jakarta. She's talking about the upside of self-publishing. And I'm just going to respond to some of the, what you call the upside, creative independence. You have full control. Um, that's certainly true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have full professional knowledge, nor that your creativity is is directed by an awareness of the market. Whereas a publisher does know what the you know what the market's like out there. So, mm, so is that what your is that what your new division is doing to help? That's exactly what the new division is doing to help. And you know, I guess many people will say that anyone can self-publish. And, and the question would be why self-publish of Jakarta, for example. And, and, and experience is the, the main reason. We, we have a wealth of experience in publishing. We would be able to advise on the best practice in terms of all the aspects of publishing, from design to editing and, and how many books to print. You know, what makes sense in terms of a print run. So we've been, our, our trade publishing division's been around since uh, 2002. So we have 12 years experience in traditional publishing. And really what we want to do is take that experience and assist people in self-publishing. So do you, would you then offer workshops to which people can come along, listen, ask their questions, etc., etc.? Yes, we will, be, we, we will be planning some workshops in the future. I think the one big thing we, we won't be doing with, self, with the self-publishing imprint staging post, we won't be marketing books on behalf of authors, but we, okay. we, we are partnering with a distribution company who will do all the sales into bookshops. But I think with self-publishers, they, they know their market. You know, often books are not self-published only because there was no traditional um, publisher who would take on the work. Yeah. There's probably another reason. There's often other reasons. People um, often wanted to explore their interests and they, and they did, did it through a book. They have their networks that they can market to. And, and what we will do is we will offer some uh, training, which is part of the package, is a training on how to market your book. Okay. We have Zewe on the line from Gauteng. Hi, Zewe. Hi, hi, Nis. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Zewe. I look, uh, I might be asking uh, something which is close to publishing, but but may relevant. I've, I'm trying to encourage a friend who has got some, some well, unhappy experience to write a book. Yes. He has got the stories, but I've heard about ghost writers. How does that work? A ghost writer is someone you would employ to, to write a story for you. But can, can I ask him to, to, to contact the lady from Chakana? Perhaps she might encourage, she might know some people who might be able to help him. And then, and then she can also, you can also talk to the lady about the, about self-publishing yeah. and all that. Yes, of course he can. Okay. Well, Zewe, thank you very much. Well, do keep encouraging your friend one way or another. I suppose ghostwriting, whoa, that's a big story, isn't it? It's perhaps one for another day. But Zewe, 
get, take a note of the details. Um, maybe okay. at this time, Leanne, give us your, give us your, how do people contact you, your um, website? Uh, it will be on my email, Nancy. Yeah, which and is? And it's Leanne spelled L-E-I-G-H yeah. hyphen A-double-N yeah. at Jakana, J-A-C-A-N-A dot yeah. Brilliant. Got that? Is that right? I've got that means thanks a lot. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, yeah. Okay. Bye -bye. Lee, cheers. Lee Ann at jacana.co.za. Is there a website, Leah? Yes, it's www.jacana.co.za. Yeah. Okay. And and they will follow the links to the self-publishing division? Yes, we do have a link for staging post. And uh, on the link, they'll be able to find some frequently asked, uh, asked questions mm -hmm. answered and and a menu of costs. Okay. Well, have a look at that bit, Zewe, the frequently asked questions. There may well be reference for that. So that it's actually called Staging Post. It's, that is, that's good, yeah. Staging Post. I have another question on the subject of ghostwriting and on the subject of somebody who's going to write it in words that are going to make sense. Because, it, it you know, some uh, self-publishers will know about writing. Some maybe won't know so much about writing. Yes. And sometimes you read a self-published book and you think, if only there'd been an editor just to fix up the, the bits that make you go, ah, that's, yes. you know, that's difficult. Is that the sort of thing you offer advice on? Or that can you is, put that people is, in? And, and, and in, mm. in fact, we offer the service on that. So we would have a pool of editors who would assist with editing, with proofing, pretty much anything a, a publisher would do um, for a traditional a publication. And cover design, layout design, all those sort of things? Everything. So from design and layout, copy editing, proofing, if people want to do illustrated books, self-publish an illustrated book, we, we would offer um, all the services for that. We would do translations if it was necessary. We would mm. provide photography, uh, service, photo research. Uh, we would even do permissions if, if that's what the self-publisher required and was willing to pay for. It seems like you will be offering them everything that they want including advice that you might be going down the wrong avenue with this. Will you come forward if you think that they are misdirected or misguided? Will you come forward and say, you know what, that's not going to work, what about this? And it's up to the person to decide whether or not they want to hear that. Absolutely, and, and, and we are there to offer advice. It's about self-publishing, but self-publishing a quality publication, you know, that can compete with a t traditional publication. Um, you know, when they say anyone can self-publish, someone sitting in a garage with a Mac could lay a book for you, but not necessarily have the required experience to guide you in terms of cover design or, or whether the, the content flows or that it needs a copy edit and yeah. all the spelling is wrong, yeah. you know. So that is just, uh, definitely the, the service that we want to offer uh, potential authors or budding authors. So it's a service and it's not just free advice, it, it is a paid for service it, because we've heard again about so many people who've gone the self-publishing online route and people get promised all sorts of things and uh, it costs an absolute fortune and they don't necessarily get satisfaction from at the end. What are we looking at? Are we looking at going along to a series of courses with other people or one-on-one? -on -one? Explain no, how it, it works. It's all, it's, it will be one-on-one -on -one, most yeah. of it. And it is a service and it's a paid-for service. So if you have a thousand-page book, you know that and we're quite clear on our costs that you're going to pay X amount per page for editing and X, X amount per page for layout and design uh, for a cover. 
you know, all the all the costs are. We, you'll know upfront what you yeah. need to pay well, that, based on what you submit. That X amount, you know, for the initial consultation, then, which is what it sounds like. How much is that? We won't charge for the consultation. Oh, we, we, we would charge for 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 all the all the actual services for the, the editing and the design and the layout and the printing. But to have a discussion about about the book and what the right approach is, is uh, we wouldn't charge for that. It seems like a very generous offer because it seems almost as if you're talking yourselves out of a job. I mean, <laughs> at what point would you say, gosh, this is a really good idea, um, let us do it for you? Would you equally offer that? Yes, we would. So I think part of, part of the self-publishing division is also to go through all of the submissions and to see if there's that gem. Because there would be a gem. I mean, if you go back into publishing, traditional publishing itself, so many well-known authors, many of them actually self-published first. And once that book was self-published, the traditional publisher came along and said, you know what, actually we would prefer to publish this book. Then work with it, you know, take out bits, do this, do that. Yes. Yeah. In, in the traditional publishing way. Yeah, which is, of course, where the creative independence becomes curbed. Yeah. What, an, what an interesting concept and what a generous con I think it's a generous concept. I'm not sure. I'm trying to read the fine print at the bottom here. But I suppose the answer is in the frequently asked questions. Leanne, you are in Cape Town, I believe. No, I'm in Janus. You're in Joburg. So yes. you're in Joburg. Is this offer consultation? Is it online? Is it over the phone? Is it face-to-face? -face? And is it just in Joburg or countrywide? No, it's countrywide, and I'm happy to speak to people on the phone, via email. We have an office in Cape Town, so if, if someone actually wanted an, a face-to-face -face consultation, they could meet with one of our Cape Town um, representatives. It's really good. I must say, it's you know, increasingly we are receiving on the receiving end of many self-published books, and you know, it's definitely the way thing, a, a lot of things are moving. Do you see it as the the way of the future? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the, the biggest growing segment in the in the publishing industry yes. at the moment. And you know, Jakarta's had a, a custom publishing division for the last twenty years, and and our focus used to be on adult basic education and training, but we found that. The type of books that we've done has changed so much that we've been doing self-help books and history books and um, cookbooks, which in a way is a self-published, it's self-published um, works. So we, having been in that space for so many years, we, we, we started to see the need for the self-publishing imprint. Yeah, yeah. A book is not just a book. It can be fiction, non-fiction, as you say, history, motivational cookbooks, yes. a young adult, children. The whole gamut. Well, Leanne, thank you very much. And I think watch your email space because I suspect there might be a lot of people who are interested. So let me give it out once again. And thank you. Um, thank very you, best of luck with the new with the new division. Take thank care. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me it's on your my show. My pleasure. Leanne Harris. Leanne Harris is a custom publishing manager at Jakarta. And if you'd like to get in touch, it's in the um, the division is called Staging Post. Pop her a mail at lee l e i g h hyphen a double n at jakarta dot co dot za, or check their site, which is jakarta dot co dot za. 
Well, there you go, Sophia. It's self-publishing is something that's uh, gone through your mind as a way to get your your words out there. Don't uh, don't hesitate twice. Just go and have a look at their website and see what's on offer. And uh, we can't promise to be doing anything on on everybody's books here on the show. But if you want to just pop us a mail, tell us what you're writing, as well as what you're reading. It's always interesting to know how people are going because we sit here in a country just filled with stories. And I think that uh, listening to what Sianda had to say, and Sianda says. Um, one day I'd love to write a novel, but I don't have a story to tell just yet. I bet you do. And I bet there are many of you listening who certainly do have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear your stories, your thoughts about stories right here on the show. And pop us a mail, books at safm.co.za.